What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout, the CMO of W2O and the host of the What to Know podcast. I am blessed to have a uh, incredibly talented guest, Matthew Holt. Uh, we were just joking before about Spinal Tap. It's going to take me probably five minutes to sort of announce Matthew because he's got so many different titles and does so many cool things. But he's the founder, author of the Healthcare Blog. We'll talk more about that. Co-chair of Health 2.0, which is how I met him originally. That's not part of him's. He's the president of Smack Health. Uh, think of that as sort of a startup advisory service. And then uh, co-chair of Catalyst, which is really Fortune 500 meeting startups and speed dating and a lot more complicated than that. But you'll get the gist. So welcome, Matthew, and thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you. And you, you, you know far too well, far too well about A, me, and B, Spinal Tap. <laughs> well, Spinal Tap, I spent my youth, you know, watching that probably more than I should. But you and I had a chance to sit down, I don't know, probably a couple months ago before right. Health 2.0. You gave me a high level view. I was able to do a little studying. And you're a guy that sort of comes like your reputation in a positive way precedes you. You're, you're a... Uh, <laughs> I hope so. You break things in the space, but in a good way. And you disrupt, right? And so um, I know you through, you know, previous colleagues. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about your background. So you've done a lot of universitying before getting into the world of work. So Winchester College, University of Cambridge, and then Stanford University. So a nice mix of across the pond and then local in California. And then actually something that was really cool is you, um, I think, early days worked at the Institute for the Future. And recently I was able to interview Bob Johansson for this oh, right. podcast cool. show. And I think you spent five-ish years there as the director for the healthcare program. Yeah, sort of. So, well, well, you said a lot there. So let me uh, let me unpack that a little bit. Um, yes, I went to university a lot. Yes, I got thrown out of one country and uh, taken into another one. The good news about moving from the UK to the US is that doesn't matter how dumb you are. If you show up with an English accent, people tend to think you're cleverer than you are. Which Will you teach works. me how to have a British accent because I need some help in that. Uh, well, the, you know, it, it doesn't. Sadly for Americans, it doesn't work the other way around. You go to London, everyone thinks you're dabbing noxious yank and thinks you're stupid. Where or not, that's the case. I, uh, I, I've had some jokes with my friends about that, especially ones who come in with, you know, heavy Indian or Hispanic accents who are really super bright, but all the Americans think they're dumb. Like, <laughs> it's just not fair. Anyway, um, but but yeah, you're right. I was at Institute for the Future, so you know, out of Stanford. I was actually unemployed for a little while there and then as well. That was early 90s and life wasn't the way it is now. Um, and I got picked up by Institute for the Future, a guy called Ian Morrison, who's uh, uh, another expat, an expat Scott for Canada, was running the healthcare program there and also was the president. Um, at that time, Bob Johansson, you just mentioned, was running the uh, what was called the Outlook program, was basically a technology program. And funnily enough, they didn't really have one in the middle. They didn't have like a technology and healthcare program. But somebody there, a guy called Robert Mittman, had sold a project in that space. And when I showed up, he went, oh, you can do that. And so that's essentially how I became the, the healthcare guy who picked up technology. So that was very formative for me. And I had five fantastic years at Institute for the Future. I really enjoyed myself there and would probably have stayed there had I, been a, had I not been a dumb and greedy person who decided to go to a startup eventually, which was not a great idea at the time because that startup failed. But, but, that, but that tells us a lot now <laughs> of like how you actually got to uh, present day. And I will uh, actually urge people that have not listened to the interview with Bob Johansson, you should, knowing that you worked there, actually gave me a lot of insight into your beginnings because, like I said, you are a disruptor. A lot of what they do is they think a lot about stuff, 
I'm not sure how much they put into play where you then went to the startup world. And I think that probably helped give you a nice balance of do and think big. And that's a nice, powerful combo. Yeah, I think, I think to be fair, the, funnily enough, the Institute of the Future started out way back in the 60s with a huge grant from, I think, NSF or something to try to actually do stuff. And it became pretty quickly after that, after that all blew up, became a, uh, a place where people thought about stuff. And there wasn't so much built there, you know, but there was a lot of studying, a lot of really deep insight from people like Bob Johansson, Paul Sappho, Ian Morrison, Robert Mimmon, uh, Mary Howard Devereaux, a bunch of others there were really formative, I think, in the sort of early days of thinking about, well, bad early days, but thinking about the evolution of technology um, before, you know, the rise of, the, 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 and when I got there, just a, a, a witty one for you, Apple was laying people off and was in trouble. <laughs> Didn't really get out of trouble for a while. A trillion dollars later, a market cap, later, they right. turned things around. Silicon Graphics was the hottest, coolest company. Who were out of them, right? You know, Sun was not doing a trillion well. dollar company. Not a trillion. Sun was doing pretty well. Again, same sort of thing. Um, and the whole first wave of the, the dot com madness was just starting, kind of 95 Netscape on. I actually ran into a guy's office, a guy who'd been laid off by Apple. Guy called Harvey Lightman, who'd worked on the Apple II, and was a, and he was hanging out at the Institute for the Future, waiting for his next thing, and he was the first guy who showed me the Mosaic browser. This is 1993, and I was going, "What the hell is that? And why would you use it?" And, uh, but actually, it turns out that, that it was that, kind of a big deal. Yeah, I remember those days too. Well, Wide Web was kind of a big deal, and kind of still is, you know. Um, so, and and the thoughts that everything had been done by then, and you think about the companies founded in that era, right? The uh, the Amazons, and the, later on the Googles, and and, and for that matter, the ones in uh, overseas in China, the the the, the, the Alibabas and the Baidu's, you know, and a little bit later, Facebook and Twitter. I mean, really have massive influence on our world. Yeah, it's hard to believe they all sort of are right in that mecca down near Stanford University and not too far away from the Institute of the Future. Sure. I'm not sure Alibaba's there, but funnily That's enough, true. Alibaba has got. If you go down to Google's new campus in Sunnyvale, there's a couple of Alibaba buildings right opposite. Just put there just to be difficult i think <laughs> that's right anyway well and, the, and before too long i'm sure they will have a pretty strong stranglehold as well <laughs> um i do want to fast forward and talk a little bit about some of the things that you're doing now and as i did give a little sneak preview um but you are a guy that i sense you know doesn't sit still you have your fingers and a lot of pies i know you were probably a little more focused on the health 2.0 piece before it got acquired by hems you still are involved but that does give you a little bit more runway to focus more on the healthcare blog and Smack Health and Catalyst. So maybe you could talk a little bit about those other businesses and sort of what those mean. We'll loop back around to yeah, healthcare. Yeah, yeah. So, so, I mean, I think the, the underlying theme is that I don't think I do anything. I think I talk about stuff. And I also try very hard to pro provide a platform for tech organizations to go up there and and, and change slash challenge slash provide new services for healthcare. And, and the underlying, my underlying thesis is that the healthcare system has been very staid for a very long time. It doesn't deal well with change for a bunch of reasons that have been well discussed, but it does need to be prodded as, and poked as much as possible. Um, now, how that happens and what works and what doesn't is, is a big question. So Health 2.0, which I founded with Indu Sabaya um, back in 2007, actually 2006, but the first conference was 2007, became kind of one of the leading platforms to, to talk about that quote-unquote disruption and to show the new stuff. And we were just lucky because we were just in that phase when it was just before Google Health and Microsoft Health fault got announced. It was just before the iPhone. I think the iPhone was out before the conference. But the 2007, app, uh, seven, fall, the app, that falls when it rolled. The App Store was not out, right? So there wasn't really this concept of building on APIs. 
than Common Vernacular. Um, certainly, you know, Facebook was just getting going. We actually had a Facebook group for that first conference. But it, the idea of these large technology platforms being, uh, being, being something that you could put on top of uh, you could put, you could build APIs into and build other businesses and other consumer solutions on top of wasn't really um, well understood then. And the idea was that we said, you've got this world online that had been around for about 10 years by then of the internet. Patients were very aggressively using it. Not so much healthcare systems. In fact, healthcare systems were just about to start a few years away from putting in the enterprise-based electronic medical records they have. So I've always thought, well, what I was doing was sort of shining a light and providing a platform for those new players to sort of show what they could do. And some of those early players in that first, you know, first few conferences included patients like me in American World and some of the players who are now big valued players on the patient side or the telemedicine side or, or the analytics side, Castlight, which has come, <laughs> hasn't necessarily had the impact it might have done, but was one of those sort of early, early ones at the Health 2.0 conference. So that's really what Health 2.0 was about. And then, as you said, uh, 10 years is a long time to run any business and a long time to be in the conference business. And uh, Hims came calling and said, hey, we like the idea of us as being kind of, quote unquote, the big enterprise conference in the healthcare IT space that had actually benefited dramatically from the, the meaningful use money and the, the role of electronic medical records and that had been a big part of that. We want to get more innovative. So Steve Lieber, the then CEO, came to us and said, hey, how about doing a, doing a deal here? So we ended up, um, our conference became part of, of the HIMSS organization. Indu uh, is an executive vice president of HIMSS and basically in charge of running that. Um, I was the, uh, the I, I got the fun job of not having to run a thing, but getting to show up at the conferences and, and, and do my spiel and be in charge of being involved with content and uh, still interviewing and still being on the stage and still doing a lot of the programming, which is a, the bit of the job I love. And I got rid of some of the stuff I didn't like. Shh, don't tell anybody. Um, and then uh, that left me with sort of some sort of some other areas to to fill in. So I had the health you mentioned. I, I founded the healthcare blog which hasn't really been much of what you call a business, but it's been a pretty influential blog over the years in terms of a place where people could go. And I've spent some time in the last uh, year or so sort of revamping that, and it's actually it's about to go through a, uh, a technical revamp. Um, I'm doing some things now that I weren't doing before. I do a, a rather fun two-minute thing called uh, Health in 2.0 with uh, Jessica Damasa, who's a sort of- I was gonna mention that, so yeah, you were bringing it. Jessica's like a sort of ubiquitous in interviewer around healthcare. She owns her own thing called WTF Health, which apparently stands for what the future health, she says, if you ask her, but it may stand for something else as well, um, where she interviews a lot of people in startups. And so she interviews me, she asks me questions, and I try to answer them in two minutes. It's kind of started as a joke, but we're in episode, I think, 55 or something at the moment. Um, and then we're, we're going to be deliberate. We're going to be launching. We too will be launching a podcast because everyone else, we, we've done interviews on the site forever, but haven't formed on a podcast. So we'll probably have to have you on that one, Aaron, at some point. I would love to join you. <laughs> have, have, we haven't figured it quite out yet. Um, and then, so, the, you know, the healthcare blog is, 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 uh, is, is going to, it's still trying along. It's 15 years old, which is old for a, a blog in healthcare. Um, the other two things I'm doing is, so as I mentioned, you mentioned Catalyst. So Catalyst is the part of Health 2.0 that was not acquired by HIMSS. And that runs, uh, essentially, runs competitions, challenges, and builds ecosystems of buyers and sellers. You said Fortune 50 meets small tech companies. It's mostly provider organizations in New York City. We're running one in Brazil. I was just going to call it, luckily for me, 6 a.m. this morning, because that was when the Brazilians, the Brazilians, the other side of the East Coast. So it's a bit of a complica complicated time thing. Uh, but anyway, um, that runs a series of sort of buyers meet sellers and do, and do pilots out of it, buyers meet vendors and do pilots out of it. 
Uh, so we do done it in New York for several years, um, done it in India, done it in Brazil, done it across the U.S. Um, and doing some more of that. That has four very talented uh, people in New York working on that. And uh, hopefully I don't Amanda have to Amanda being one of them, who I met at our uh, event oh, and fantastic. chatted with Am her today. So. Oh, fantastic. Amanda Cardinal being one of them and uh, uh, running that group. And that's uh, very glad that she's running it so that I don't have to. <laughs> in much better hands there. Um, and then the last thing is, is Smack Health, which is taking a decent amount of my time. And Smack Health is the original concept of Smack, S-M-A-C, came out of Cognizant, the uh, sort of India Plus consulting company, um, which came up with this idea that the new technologies that were beyond enterprise were going to be social, mobile, analytics, and cloud. So I, a couple of people wrote to me about that and said, is there a thing called Smack? Is it in health? And I went, that's silly. And then after a while, I thought, that's kind of cool. If we changed it a bit, if we add sensors to the S, so we have sensors and social as well as mobile, analytics, and cloud. And then if I, I put a K on it because we should be kind and empathetic in healthcare. So I put up this, I started talking about this because I hate the term digital health because you know, enterprise technologies are digital. Um, Epics and Cerners, and you know, back in the original incarnation, pre-cloud, and some of them are migrating, are digital, but they're not, they're not what I call new. They're not the stuff that we use every day from Apple and Amazon and Google and all that stuff. So I went, well, we've got to call something new. And so, although no one's taken me up on it, I brought the term Smack Health. Uh, my buddy Jennifer Lannon down at uh, .health was trying to push the .health domain name and uh, domain extension. And she said, oh, let's put up a Smack Health website. So we put it up. A couple of years back, I didn't really think much about it, but I had this website. <laughs> and then, of course, now it's time for me to start a little consulting company. I was probably, what the hell should I call it? Oh, I've got this website. I'll just use that for the test case. And everybody, everybody in the test case loved it. <laughs> they said, yeah, we like that name. So I went, okay, we'll use the name. And Smack is me helping early stage startups figure out how to sort of prepare themselves. Is their product market fit right? What does their deck look like? Who should they be talking to on the VC side? Who should be talking to providers? It's like, how can I do the things that I never got paid for before while I was a health 2.0 and have a little business doing them? And it's, uh, I've got about 18 to 20, I need to count exactly, companies sort of on the roster now. I'm gonna try and get it to about 30 or 40. Um, and the goal is to have that little group get enough of my time that's useful for them but not have me running their business development for them. They, they're doing that themselves. But a bunch of people I can introduce them to if they do need more people. So, so that's the goal there, and, and hopefully that will become an interesting little uh, business going forward. Well, that's great, and I will point out the fact that there are two companies that build themselves as platform companies, uh, Uber and now Uber Lyft, as well as Airbnb that did okay being a platform. So <laughs> if you're a platform and sort I, of I, I probably don't have that level of, uh, of, of technology build on hopefully some of the uh, some of the other issues that have gone on at Uber are not, are not happening at, uh, at Smack Elf. Although Lyft's a very nice company with lots of warm, warm fuzzies and uh, lots of female, uh, lots, lots of women on its management team, which is a good idea. Yeah. Um, and on that note, we probably won't come back to it, but uh, there's a conference which may or may not have happened by the time this goes out called Serendipity run by the Guild, which Smack for its huge size is a minor sponsor of, um, which is a female entrepreneurs conference. And I have about 10 uh, female entrepreneurs who are in the orbit of those 20 plus companies I'm working with most of whom are speaking at this serendipity conference. And I'm very interested in promoting. Sounds like maybe it. we need to get some of them on this show as Absolutely, I would love to. I'd be happily sending them this way as well okay. because, because there, are many, uh, there are many great entrepreneurs out there, but there are many female entrepreneurs in health who are not getting enough uh, visibility. And some more are getting more, but I think 
a lot of people are noticing this is a problem. And I'm we, we like to stay balanced. And I've had yep. a few uh, female entrepreneurs focused on health on the show, but would always love more. So that's great. I do want to be mindful of time because I know that we, you have a ferry that you have to catch. <laughs> this is what we, the problems we have in San Francisco. Um, I'd like to double dip on this question, then we'll get into the final three questions. And this is, you did just have Health 2.0, I want to say probably about a month ago. Uh, I think it was the little middle little of September. Yep. Um, let's talk a little bit about some key trends that came away from that, which answers my second question, which is like, if you're looking out over the next three to five years, what are some, uh, areas of focus? And we were lucky enough to podcast at your event and got some really smart people there like Razu and, and others. So, uh, I'll turn it back over to you. Well, so I think that the, there are, there's a sort of technological key trend, which, which, uh, Razu was on a panel with me, Razu Trista from, uh, UPMC was on a panel with folks from Cerner and Epic and also, uh, um, Google and Microsoft and, sorry, Cerner and uh, Allscripts. We could not get the Epic people. That's a secondary story we won't go into. Um, and there's a big question about the opening up of these techn technology systems that have been put in. So these EMRs have been put in to the major major health systems, predominantly Epic, Cerner, Meditech, Allscripts, others. Uh, how open are they to becoming their own platforms and to have third-party applications build on them, all those small companies? And or that they kind of go away into Google, Microsoft, Amazon, become the underlying platform for those as they and Apple, as they have been for many others. And that's a really open question as to what is the role of those EMR systems and what's the role of um, what's the role of, of the big, you know, the huge tech vendors who are the ones as, as the folk, as uh, Jim Hewitt from Allscript said that we buy servers by the truckload, you buy them by the shipload, right? So that's one thing. The, the, the second question, which is related, is how are, how are we going to deliver care? and What are the organizations that are going to enable us to deliver care in the future? So right now, we have gone through basically a 20-year period where large hospital systems have acquired other hospitals and require, have acquired clinicians and physician groups and all different kinds of – and they've bundled these things together – and they've gone out and they've pretty aggressively priced them. And we've got right now in this city an investigation into Sutter Health, um, in this state, as to, as to how they've been pricing. There's a lot of back and forth on that. But it's clear that we haven't done anything to really reduce the overall cost of healthcare. We haven't seen the kind of quote unquote efficiencies or improvements in, in outcomes and improvement in costs overall. We may have reduced some volumes, but we've gone up in price. And so the overall price is the same. And right now, there is a massive movement of either tech players coming in or realignment of people around the edges. And I'm talking here about the retail players like CVS, Walgreens, Humana, Walmart, Aetna, realigning themselves to figure out can they essentially take over the care of the chronically ill and the retail care for the everyday sick, sick people and kind of unpin that from the major healthcare systems um, and do that, do that in a better way that's A, more profitable for them, but B, with lower cost overall. And a lot of employers are looking at this in a very interesting way. A lot of the government's looking at this in a very interesting way. The healthcare systems themselves are scared. And the most notable event here has been the appointment of Atul Gawande as, as the head of the new Amazon Berkshire Hathaway Chase ABC thing, whatever that's going to be, really looking at can we reinvent the way that we deliver healthcare to a lot of people. And that came up a lot as the second trend. I think the third trend out of Health 2.0 is, continues on, is, is the role of extracting data and doing interesting stuff interesting stuff with that data. You saw a ton of companies trying to figure out how can you extract data out of systems and put new interfaces in them for doctors and patients. How can you tell from the data what's going on? Can we store it in a different way using blockchain? There's a ton of excitement, but also not a clear vision for that. But I think that's probably the third area where there's a lot of, ex a lot of interest and you're seeing the, the role of 
the clinical data scientist becoming a big deal and you know uh, any, any young people looking for a job today that's a great area to get into <laughs> it's well paid well and, and just to connect the dots on that one as i mentioned we did interview a few of the folks and one of them was matt metting right from the american medical association and part of what he talked about and that went out today which is the 11th of october uh was basically standardizing this right because one there's the extraction of there's the where does it live but then just like in the old days of you know video format or uh music format audio format it was what what format is it and can we standardize on that so we don't have 18 million different formats so um thank you for sharing that and it's nice to be able to get the extraction of those three key themes in such a, a short period um i do want to shift into the more about you and i can tell this is going to be a fun part <laughs> given okay. our uh, our uh, final tap conversation up front uh the first is tell us something that we don't know about you that you're willing to share with the listeners oh my word so this is probably hopefully more interesting than i read magazines backwards which i do um something that people don't know about me that um so they may not know that i used to be both a hang glider pilot in my early years and a paraglider pilot and i kind of get both of them up and and it's related to what they, i had a fun question with my kids the other night and i was asked what's the greatest invention of in the last 50 years the greatest invention is a snowboard <laughs> for me personally <laughs> my mo more fun from that invention me else i'm a very keen snowboarder like Probably a little it. safer too than hang gliding. Not that hang gliding is. I have I have never hurt myself hang gliding. I've never hurt myself paragliding. I have smashed my knees to pieces snowboarding twice. <laughs> so. That's a fair point. And by the way, you you may have heard. I'm going to make a, a, a light of this. We've heard Matthew's phone go off twice, and what it reminds me of is there's that show that Zach Galifianakis does between two ferns, oh, right. and like he'll have these random sounds that go off, or you know he'll press the buzzer or whatever. So <laughs> if you're hearing those, Matthew's a busy man, and uh, that's what you're hearing but uh maybe you don't you won't hear them in the background uh, the second thing is i like to ask the smart people that are on the show books uh podcasts that they've listened to or are reading uh sharing them with the guests so that people can build their library or sort of um you know build build their podcast listening library yeah i, I think two podcasts in health tech i mean look I, I i do a lot of i spend most of my life on twitter looking for interesting stuff when i get distracted easily but two podcasts which are great one is lisa sunan's uh lisa sunan and day shaywitz Tectonics really gets in depth with a you know someone so that's that's a good one. Other than the one we're on, of course. <laughs> the the other one I as uh, a young guy called Saul who runs a, runs a uh, podcast called The Outcomes Rocket, who's done a ton of he's just done a ton of podcasts, interviewed a ton of people, and they're all pretty quick. So I think that those are two uh, good podcasts. There are obviously a ton of others around as well. Um, books I I like you know longer. Form books. I mean, I think that you do a lot worse to understand the U.S. healthcare system than read Steve Brill's A Bitter Pill, which came out a few years back about the Obama administration. And more recently, uh, Libby Rosenthal from the New York Times wrote um, An American Sickness. That's a great book. And if you want to go back 10 years to figure out how screwed up things were before the ACA, Jonathan Cohn from, well, then the uh, New Republic and now HuffPost wrote a great book called Sick. So I think those, you know, those are three books to give you a great view of the American healthcare system. What's what's wrong with that? And then the, the other book, which is for those who care about technology and the future of technology, is Eric Topol's written. Dr. Eric Topol's written two books. Um, one called the, the more recent one called The Patient Can See You Now, and before that, the, the Creative Destruction of Medicine. And both of those are, you know, anybody who hasn't read those and hasn't wants to get a grasp of the sort of the overview of what's going on in genomics plus sort of mobile technologies plus uh, plus the, the change in the healthcare system could do a lot worse than read those. 
Well, great recommendations, and it's funny because Eric comes up in our influencer lists all the time for our uh, healthcare uh, clients. Uh, last question, and this is the one I am very interested in. Uh, I ask all my guests here, stuck on a proverbial deserted island, you can take one album with you. Ideally, not a greatest hits, but I will let you cheat since I didn't give you a lot of time. It, it, Which would it be in one? Uh, it, would be a, it would be a brutal, brutal to narrow this one down but I'm a huge Queen fan and uh, saw them five times when Freddie Mercury was still alive, which a lot of young people are very jealous about now because he's been dead a while and now they're popular again. Um, it would be what they, they made three albums in a row, which were fantastic. Uh, Sheer Heart Attack, Night of the Opera and A Day at the Races. I mean, all their albums are great, but those three are just perfect. I'll let you take Think? all three if you want oh, to. Oh, I'd love to take all three if I can, but if I had to choose one, it'd be Day of the Races, the last one. Are you going to go see Bohemian Rhapsody? Have you I seen will the go and see Bohemian Rhapsody when it comes yeah. out and see how they do, yes. I, I will tell you one final thought on that, and that is that I have always appreciated Queen. The interesting thing is I don't feel like I knew as much about them growing up as I would have liked, and so I'm actually fascinated now, and I, in ex post facto, really appreciate how great a singer Freddie Mercury was, maybe one of the best male singers of all time, and so I'm really kind of geeking out it, about it's digging re in. It's really interesting how when I grew up, they were kind of not regarded, you know, and there was weird stuff going on because, you know, he was obviously kind of, didn't look like every other rock star because he was right. he was gay, and that was kind of, in the, even the 70s and 80s, it was a bit weird, um, you know, and it, and, it, and, it, and it kind of came out later, obviously, and he died of AIDS and all that kind of stuff. The... The thing that was strange in the UK is that he wasn't, they weren't regarded as like a pure hard rock band like Red Ze Led Zeppelin or, or you know, Iron Maiden or the ones that came, came later. And so there was always a bit, when, I, when you were the Queen fan amongst your friends, yeah, why do you like them? Why do you like these hard, you know, why do you like Deep Purple or, or, or Led Zeppelin for my generation? And the, the, the weird, you know, the, the, the thing that's happened is that over, year, over the years, as that greatest, their greatest hits got recycled, recycled, especially in the UK, Europe, and South America, there was less popular in the US. But in that, where I'm from, they're so incredibly popular now. And now you have people like, you know, doing reversed versions of Bohemian Rhapsody. And, you know, now they're touring with the guy from American Idol and, 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 and playing at the London Olympics and all that kind of stuff. Um, and there is probably the greatest thing we'll see if you go look on YouTube is there's a bunch, there's an entire British audience waiting for Green Day to come on. Have you seen this? No. Green Day is playing a big gig somewhere in London, open air, and there's 90,000 people singing Bohemian Rhapsody along. It's, a, it's just a fantastic piece of YouTube. I will have to uh, go Google that. YouTube. And Maya, <laughs> let's uh, make sure we link out to that. Uh, well, anyway, this has been amazing, and I could do this for another you know, 45 minutes. So this is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O, host of the What to Know podcast. Uh, just spent some uh, time digging in with Matthew Holt, who is the founder, author of the healthcare blog, co-chair of Health 2.0, president of Smack Health, and co-chair of Catalyst. Thank you so much, Matthew, for spending some time. Hey, Aaron, it was a lot of fun. Anytime you want to talk more about Queen, we didn't get into Finn Lizzie or Deep Purple, Jimi Hendrix, so we could spend another hour. I love all of those as well, so for a future episode. Thank okay. you, Matthew. Thanks so much. Hi, this is Aaron, the host of the What to Know podcast show. I want to thank you for being a listener of the show, and I hope you've enjoyed the content up until this point. I wanted to let you know that we're taking next week off. It's Thanksgiving. And it's a time for reflection, a time to celebrate with our families, and a time to eat turkey and watch football. We will resume right after the break with more great content. As always, we'd love to hear from you, the listeners. If there are guests that you'd like to hear, questions you'd like me to ask, or general commentary on how you think the show is, don't hesitate. You can always reach out to me on Twitter, at Aaron Strout, A-A-R-O-N-S-T-R-O-U-T. And you can also feel free to 
leave comments on iTunes. We do check those. Always appreciate a rating if you don't mind. Happy Thanksgiving. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you after the break.